Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When it comes to the restoration of others and having fellowship with others, it has to start with grace. It has to start with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because absent grace, there cannot be any restoration chiefly between us and God and not to mention any reconciliation or restoration with each other. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. We love to receive grace. In fact, we feel entitled to it. God's grace flows abundantly to us because He loves us. However, we tend to be stingy with our grace. We want to hold on to hurts instead of allowing others grace. As Pastor J.D. explains, it's only when we give grace away that healing and restoration can occur and true love can be demonstrated. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. So today's teaching is going to be part four of a series I've titled, What True Love Is and Does. As we come to the end of this chapter and with it, the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is going to turn yet another sharp corner as he's prone to do here in his closing remarks. He once again goes from being very harsh, very blunt, seemingly very mean, and he now is instead very encouraging and very comforting in just a few verses. And he does so with a purpose in mind. And His purpose is that which we're going to talk about today, and it's that of restoration, restoration with others. I have to confess that while I'm very much looking forward to starting in the next book uh, in our trek through the Bible on Sunday mornings, which is the book of Galatians, I'm really going to miss the epistles to the Corinthians. I didn't take the time to go back and see how much time we spent in First and Second Corinthians. And I don't want you to do that either, because I know it's been <laughs> at least a couple of years. And uh, But we finally now today reach the end. But over that time, uh, in both of these epistles, we've really gotten to know the Apostle Paul and the heart of this man mightily used of God. And what we're finding is is that Paul was a very loving man. Paul really loved God, and Paul really loved God's people. I think it's so apropos that the books of Corinthians would end the way they do with this textbook case of not only love, but what we call today, what's come to be known as tough love. Tough love is still love, it's just tough love. And I suppose you could say that this is what tough love, or if you prefer, 
true love really looks like. And it's evidenced by this first one that we found in verses 1 through 3. And it's that true love will, in love, speak the truth to others. Here, true to form, Paul, in his love, and because of his love, is very blunt with them, and he tells them that when he comes to them and visits them, which this will now be the third visit, he's not going to spare them. Those who had sinned earlier in their midst. This actually tied into our second one in verses 4 through 6, which is that true love is honest with others. And not only honest with others, but I'll add true love is honest with oneself. And that's what Paul says here in his honesty with them. He tells them that they need to be honest with themselves. They're needing to test themselves and see whether or not they're really in the faith. In other words, you need to be honest with yourself because you could be self-deceived. You need to test yourselves to see whether or not you're really Christians or not there in Corinth. That's pretty honest. Well, last week we looked at our third one in verses 7 through 10, and it's that true love will pray for others. In four verses, Paul mentions prayer two times, and in so doing, he tells the Corinthians that he prays for them, and he does so so that they'll do what's right, because when he comes, he doesn't want to have to discipline them and be harsh with them. No parent enjoys disciplining their children, and Paul certainly saw himself as a spiritual father of sorts, having fathered many of them in the faith, and he even refers to it in uh, previous chapters. Well, this brings us to our text today and our fourth and final one, which is that true love seeks the restoration of others. In verse 11, Paul very lovingly encourages them to strive for full restoration. Some of your translations render it, be perfect. He says, be of one mind. And he tells them and encourages them to live in peace and so that God's love and peace will be present with them. The implication here being that they weren't living in peace with each other. They weren't reconciled one with another. Instead of restoration, there was division. Instead of being of one mind, there were all these factions and disagreements and strivings. And instead of living in peace so that God's love and peace could be present with them, this was a church that was filled with turmoil. And that's why Paul says this to them. Then in verses 12 and 13, he tells them to greet one another, and he sort of qualifies it by saying, do so with a holy kiss. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. And he says that God's people send their greetings to the church in Corinth. Then in verse 14, very interesting, he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, God the Father, and the fellowship, or as some of your translations render that word, communion of the Holy Spirit 
be with you all. And then he says, Amen. And that's how he brings the letter to a close. A couple thoughts here on what I would argue is a packed passage of Scripture. You wouldn't think that the closing remarks, that closing paragraph in a letter would be so important. When you read a letter, usually it's more of a formality. That last paragraph, you tend to kind of read through it quickly, and then there's the ending and the signature, and that's not the case here with Paul. He says quite a bit here in this final writing. He says to them to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now this is interesting because for us here in Hawaii, we understand this. I mean, this is how we greet one another. It was something that I had to kind of get used to coming from the mainland. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's no aloha, okay? Especially in traffic, right? And, uh, you know, even in the church that I pastored and, and planted, I was very careful about even giving women a hug. And I would always do side hugs. In fact, I had a, a woman approach me and say to me, I, I'm, I'm going to go to another church because you, you only give side hugs. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> sorry. I just, uh, it's a holy hug. It's kind of like this uh, holy kiss. But here in Hawaii, we, we kiss each other on the cheek. And it's a show of affection and love and aloha. And this was the custom in Paul's day in the Middle East. And it's the custom today, especially in my Arab culture. Growing up, I would always see my dad with my uncles. I mean, you know, the Arabs, they just, they overdo it. They overdo everything. But I mean, they don't just, you know, just, it's not just a, you know, like here, here in Hawaii, a kiss on the cheek. It's, you know, other side, back. And, they, and sometimes they just keep going and going and going. It's like enough already. We get it. You know, you're happy to see each other. That's great. But why would, here's the question, why would Paul have to tell them to do something that was already the custom to do? He's, he's not saying, hey, greet one another with a kiss. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? That's, we always do that. That's just what we do. He doesn't say that though. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, he's qualifying it. Why? Well, think about it. He kind of has to. This culture there in Corinth was so carnal, was so corrupt, was so sexual that Paul has to tell them that when you kiss and greet one another, it needs to be a holy kiss. G. Campbell Morgan had this to say. The fact that the kiss was described as holy indicates that erotic overtones were excluded. The kiss was a greeting, a sign of peace, and Christian agape. It could be assumed that There was no agape, there was no aloha, if you prefer, in this church there in Corinth. Well, this kind of ties into the second thought, which has to do with Paul mentioning grace, love, and fellowship in the last verse there in verse 14. 
And what's interesting about this is that he delineates it. It's the grace being of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the love being of God. And it's the fellowship being of the Holy Spirit. Well, why does he do that? Well, we're going to see in just a moment. But I want to just mention something here parenthetically, that this is the only place in the entirety of the New Testament where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all mentioned in the same verse, in the entirety of the New Testament. Now, lest you think that's just one of those fancy Nancy Bible statistics, let me hasten to say that there's a reason for this. This is by God's design, by the Holy Spirit, because it provides us with an important principle. It's what I see as a three-pronged template, and I'll explain what I mean by that. When it comes to the restoration of others and having fellowship with others, it has to start with grace. It has to start with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because absent grace, there cannot be any restoration, chiefly between us and God, and not to mention any reconciliation or restoration with each other. In Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul writes and says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And it comes by grace. That's how we're saved. That's how we're reconciled to God. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We are saved by grace, through faith, by grace, through faith. It is the gift of God. It is not of works lest any man should boast. It always starts with grace, and we're going to see that in the life, in the example of the Apostle Paul here shortly. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Paul takes it even a step further and sort of expounds on this. He says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That's grace. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf Be reconciled to God. This is Paul's ministry. This is that which God had called Paul to, this ministry of reconciliation. First, by grace, with God, through Jesus Christ, and then once we're restored to God, reconciled, reunited to God, we can be reconciled one with another. Here's what I'm thinking. 
It's only when, and I want you to think through this with me, it's only when we've tasted from this cup of grace that we can then also taste of the love of God. And when we taste of the love of God and see that he is good, it comes packaged with a love for God's people. You show me a Christian who loves God, and I will show you a Christian who loves God's people. And conversely, you show me a Christian who does not love God, and I'll show you a Christian who cannot love God's people because of it. And by the way, this is why the first five commandments are about us loving God. And the second five commandments are about us loving our neighbor as ourselves. And there's an interesting typology of sorts in that the first five commandments are vertical. And that has to be there first. That's our love for God, vertical. And the second five commandments are horizontal, our love for others, loving them as ourselves. Is that not how the law is fulfilled? And if you don't have the vertical first, then you won't have this horizontal love for others as a result. And there's a picture of the cross in the Ten Commandments. You cannot love others if you don't have the love that you have for God and that God has for you. When I was first married, I was such a jerk when I, uh, no, I really was. I've confessed this, okay? I've repented, but I was just, I was not a, anyway. I remember telling my wife, uh, and I thought it was so profound. I mean, I just, it was one of those things, you know, where you just think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm such a godly husband, you know. And so I, I said to her this, don't do the elbows, not yet anyway. But I said to her this, I said, honey, I love you with a love that only God gives. I thought, oh, she's going to be so blessed. And I, and I looked at the look on her face and it was this look of horror. And she, and she says to me, she says, you mean to tell me that I am so unlovable that you can't muster up any love in and of yourself that I'm so unlovable. The only way you can love me is if God gives you a love for me. Where did you get that? Wives, how do you do that? You, you take, listen, us husbands have a hard enough time as it is. Don't do that. I mean, we think we're, we're being so loving and, and you take that and you do that and I don't know how you do that and so don't do that. But anyway, in theory it was true. Because the love that I had for her was the love that we're told husbands are to have for their wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. When I have that love from God and for God vertically, then as a result, I'll have the love for my wife and others horizontally. That's how it works. Now, what's the source of this? Grace. You'll forgive the oversimplification. I'll, I'll kind of unpack that. But it starts with the embrace of God's grace. And here's how it works. 
Once we've embraced God's grace, we can love as God loves. And we can love as God loves by virtue of how loving much comes by way of having been forgiven of much. And that's the grace. Do you see the connection between the two? This is Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Jesus is illustrating with a parable about the one who has been forgiven of much, loving much. And he says of the woman who had just anointed him with oil, this oil some believe would be valued at about the amount of somebody's annual salary. And it was something that in that day they would save up all of their lives for their own burial. This is before the days of embalming. And so this was a burial oil and and an anointing oil. And she's in effect anointing the Savior for his burial. Of course, the subsequent resurrection. And Jesus is on the receiving end of this harsh criticism. And so he tells them this parable and asks Simon, after he tells them this parable about two guys, both of which owed this debt. However, one of the debts was so enormous, it was impossible to be paid back. And he's forgiven of that debt. And then he contrasts it in the parable with another who also owed a debt, but it was very small. And he asked Simon, he says, who do you think is more thankful for being forgiven of their debt? Well, Simon answers correctly. Of course, the one who was forgiven of much. And then Jesus, in response to the woman, says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. And then he contrasts it. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Let me just, um, since my wife's not here today, talk about another marriage example. <laughs> Early on in our marriage, you know, you know how it is, right? You, you get into a conflict and you're, you're the one that's in the right. And they're always the one that's wrong. And you're not going to go to them. And they need to come to you and uh, because they wronged you. And they need to say they're sorry and ask for forgiveness. And you sit there and you fume and you, I'm not going to go to them. They need to come to me and say they're sorry because they're the ones that were wrong. I wasn't wrong. Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. We hope Pastor J.D. Farag's message from the book of 2 Corinthians has blessed you and that you continue to seek God's hand in your life. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor J.D., simply visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click on Listen at the top of the page. You'll also find a link to subscribe to our podcast or you can download messages to share with your family and friends. Did you know you can also take In Spirit and Truth with you wherever you go? It's true. Using your Apple or Android smartphone, download our mobile app and have biblically sound messages available right at your fingertips. Links to the app are right on our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
We'd also like to encourage you to find and join a local church community if you haven't already. Having a group of believers to support you and learn from God with you is a great encouragement. You too will have the chance to bless others with your own unique gifts and talents. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we would joyfully welcome you into our fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Our weekly services focus on studying God's Word and worshiping our Creator. Service times and directions can be found by going to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and clicking on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. That's all we have for you today here on In Spirit and Truth. Be sure to join us again as Pastor J.D. digs deeper into the book of 2 Corinthians. With you.